Hello and welcome to another episode of For the Love of Sports. My name is Michael Raziel and today my guest is Timothy Peterson, the Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Digital Officer at SportsBiz. Timothy was so much fun to get to talk to. He is very much a data and analytics guy more than he is a sports guy. Obviously, he loves what he does, which I think is really, really cool in the sports field, which makes it even cooler. But we get to dive into these partnership and sponsorship and marketing opportunities within, you know, athletes and leagues and teams and and stadium rights and all these things and how they work. So it was a very interesting conversation for me. So I hope you guys enjoy the conversation just as much as I did with Timothy Peterson. Today, my special guest, Timothy Peterson, the Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Digital Officer at Sports Biz. How are you doing today, Timothy? I'm doing great. It's a pleasure to speak with you today. It's a good day to be alive. It should be a lot of fun. Let's see how it goes. But the first question I have for everybody on the For the Love of Sports podcast is, why do you love sports so much? Well, you know, I am coming at this from uh, you know, a couple different angles. I'm a data guy. And, uh, you know, the stats uh, involved in uh, the world of sports are really what uh, drew me to the role that I'm in right now. So it's not so much that I'm an athlete. Uh, That's not really who I am. Uh, But I'm really a data guy. And I love, uh, you know, other folks who are really into the data surrounding sports. That's perfect. Yeah, it's uh, I'm a big baseball fan. So I've, uh, you know, at least the last few years have really took a nice deep dive on some of the things that are going on in baseball, obviously with Moneyball a few years ago and everything. It's a, it's very interesting uh, to kind of see how all that works. And I guess, I think I know the answer to this question, but I have it written down. So we'll see what happens. Was it ever or always a dream of yours to work in sports or was it just, you know, as long as you're working with data, you're going to be happy. Well, you know, it, it, these, just like a, a lot of other things in life, I, I kind of ended up in this through a, you know, a series of circumstances. It was a lot of, folks who I already uh, knew and respected who were working uh, in data and in marketing uh, and really just great people. And so I wanted to be involved with those people and they happened to be working, you know, in this particular uh, startup in sports. And I really was just getting passionately involved with it. So that's how I ended up in this. And it's uh, pretty great. That is awesome. And it's always interesting to see how people get into things um, because I've saw, I saw you mostly have a marketing background. Mm -hmm. What, uh, you know, you, you said the people, but what is it about the business of, you know, sports biz, the actual entity? What, what is it about what you guys are doing that really drew you in, I guess, outside of the people? Uh, sure, sure. So we were primarily a, a SaaS business, a software as a service business, uh, you know, working really about how to determine return on investment ROI in sports sponsorship. I mean, that's really the core. So there are lots and lots of businesses related that they're under the general umbrella of sports analytics or sports tech, but a lot of those could be connected to, you know, the health of an athlete or, you know, the very specific data for like a person or looking at it in aggregate for a team, or, you know, maybe on the outside, the other end of the spectrum, it's like, you know, ad dollars for a particular 
brand spending, you know, as a sponsorship. What what appealed to me about this particular business and what people were trying to accomplish is that it is all of the above in a sense. You know, it's really pulling together, I think, 165 sources of data at this point. I believe that's the number. Uh, and it's related to athletes, teams, leagues, associations, sports venues, and events like the Olympics or like the Super Bowl. So really pulling all of that together and then looking for patterns in the data and then writing algorithms to pull out you know, the great stuff out of it, the gold out of it for the benefit of any one of those different areas, athletes all the way to you know, teams, leagues, associations, and so on. That's really and, and again, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think it's very interesting. I mean, if you get to kind of look at the Super Bowl and the Olympics and some of these mega events, but then also get to see the nitty gritty of the athletes themselves and then kind of where and how these brands spend their dollars and how it actually works. Um, that's always something that's very interesting to me because sponsorship marketing and, you know, like TV ad revenue, it's very difficult to actually see how much it affects, you know, we need it, right? If Coca-Cola stops advertising, we've seen the case studies. I went to business school. So every person that went to business school, I'm sure saw the case study. When Coca-Cola stops advertising, people stop buying it, but they don't know if it's because they stopped advertising here, there, or elsewhere. So it's always very interesting to me. So I guess with your marketing background, can you answer that question? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there are, uh, I think there are a few ways to look at this, so, you know, very, very quick uh, ways to, to you know, just touch on this. One is that, uh, you know, marketing, marketing in sports means a lot of different things. Uh, and it means a different thing really for, let's say, a sponsor versus uh, any of the other components of what they're trying to sponsor. So if you're an athlete and you want a sponsorship, you know, it means a lot to you, but do you want a sponsorship for the apparel that you're wearing? Is it by Nike? Do you want a sponsorship because there's a lifestyle connection, something that you're really interested in that has nothing to do with sports, you know, some type of entertainment sponsorship? Is it a food sponsorship because you're passionate about food? So the, the marketing connected to each of these components could mean different things. So if you're cutting back marketing dollars in one of these areas, right, or two of these areas or three of these areas, it, it matters in different ways. If you're cutting back across the board, you know, now it's a very strange moment to be in with the, you know, the COVID-19 crisis, no live sports being played in much of the world. Uh, it, it's a very, very unusual moment to be in. And so we're seeing live really the experiment. What happens when nobody's really spending money on sports sponsorship? Are people still thinking about sports? And I think the early answer, just to give a quick answer on this, is that I've seen survey data in the last week, two, three, two, three weeks, is that there's a tremendous amount of buzz in social media still about when are people coming back? How can I help my team? Is this athlete still gonna be doing X, Y, and Z? Did they heal or are they off the disabled list? You know, all these kinds of things. So right now, even without ad dollars, there's still this groundswell of interest in sports, but I don't know how long that could last. It's six months from now. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, hopefully it's not six months, but obviously, you know, we'll, we'll wait and see, but uh, no, I totally agree. It's, it's, you know, every day it's, it's an article. Okay. Sports are never going to come back. And then it swings back to today. Uh, you know, the MLB released a statement saying, Hey, we might be able to play in May, which I personally think is ridiculous. Um, yeah. I, I, if they can do it in a safe way, 
then I'm all for it. But I don't know how much the athletes are going to want to do that or the, I mean, think about the bat boy, like, right? Like you have to think about every single person involved and it's going to be very difficult to coordinate that much, even if it is in a quarantine stadium or whatever they were talking about. But it's, it's amazing to me. Just again, you know, we could see the thirst for live sports to the point where ESPN's now starting to play NBA players playing each other in the NBA video game. And it's really starting to get kind of like meta, which I think is interesting, but you're right. It's a, it's a very weird um, experiment that we all get to essentially partake in and just kind of see how it goes. So I guess from your standpoint with, with sports biz, if you don't mind explaining, you know, you've kind of explained all like the 165 data points and everything. If you don't mind explaining, I guess what you guys are doing and how you're doing it. Uh, I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah, yeah. And, and uh, you know, just full disclosure, you know, some of this is still being worked out, right? I mean, I think uh, that's something that, you know, wouldn't surprise anybody. I mean, in a, in a startup like ours, uh, you know, we have a lot of passion, and a lot of data, and a lot of things we've worked on, but things are always moving, right? There's, a, it's always a moving target, especially at a time like this. So I'll start in reverse. I mean, so being in a, having a moving target like this and mentioning what you just said about like virtual, you know, uh, NBA players like in their own space playing maybe a game of horse against other folks, you know, we're looking a lot more at esports early and online sports betting early than we were, you know, thinking maybe it would be coming down the road. You know, we thought we'd dive right into you know, whatever season was, you know, coming up as we're releasing our products and talk a lot about baseball and football and, you know, as it, as it came, right? That's not necessarily the way that we're going. So we are talking a lot about esports, even like eNASCAR, if you followed that, mm-hmm. right? that's a pretty hot thing right now, you know, during this crisis. So, so what are we doing specifically? We, um, we have uh, three or four core algorithms uh, that, uh, we have been working on, I think, for about 18 months. Uh, one of those really is about matching sponsors with the right type of deals, let's say, or the right type of matches. And we're calling it tentatively Sponsor Max. Uh, sponsor ma- uh, Max, yes. And that is uh, essentially saying, okay, you're, for example, Procter & Gamble, or you're, for example, Chase Bank. Um, you know, you have these sponsorships that you already have in place, but really have you thought about why they're those sponsorships? Should you be sponsoring individual athletes as opposed to, you know, entire events like the U S open? Should you be uh, putting all of your money into one basket and having your name on a venue, you know, some type of stadium, is that a better deal for you? And because of all these sources of data coming from everywhere you can possibly imagine, and, and we can take their numbers, take our category data and other data and say, okay, you know, you're doing well, uh, or you're not. So that's one way to look at this. Uh, another, so sponsors, right? The other thing is really a, um, uh, it's more about the the athlete or the one who is being sponsored, right? Whatever category is being sponsored, you're coming there, you're a league. You know, we, we have talked to people, I don't want to release too much because it's kind of a non-disclosure, but we've talked to a couple major leagues, uh, sports leagues. And let's say let's say it's the NFL for the sake of argument so the talking to the NFL they say well you know what type of deal should we be drafting uh, who should we be talking to how should we approach this if we are looking at having x billion dollars you know coming in from should we have these 200 ways that that money is streaming in from the various deals does this make sense is are there better ways to do it so 
in the most simplistic way, those two things are kind of red, yellow, green. You know, it's like, well, which of these is is really horrible? Like, why you should not be doing this because you're going to be losing money if you do the following. Uh, is it yellow? It's like, okay, this is fine. You know, maybe there are ways to optimize this. Or, all right, this is best in class. This is something you, you should continue doing and maybe do more of, right? Uh, the last thing I would say is that there are, um, there are really other plays that we're looking at beyond those two angles where we would come out and we would say specifically based on the data, like letting the data lead us along. Uh, you know, there are these 10 uh, venues in the country that don't have names on them, you know, that don't have sponsorship names. Uh, you know, some of them, they're never going to change, right? They're like Fenway or whatever. Mm -hmm. Some of these places may never change, but other places uh, maybe it's an optimal time for them to be invested in, right? For people to spend their sponsorship dollars on it. So we'd publish this out to our clients and say, opportunity report, right? Here are <laughs> athletes or teams or leagues or associations or venues events where there's, for some reason, there's no sponsorship happening, right? There's nothing happening here, yet it is primed for that to happen. And last, I'll just say this really quickly, see if it's of interest to you, we, we're looking at the negative, right? If there are uh, athletes, for example, who are doing things on social media that really aren't great for themselves or for their teams or, or whatnot, uh, the tools that we have in place are really gonna be scanning through all of that and saying, well, you know, this person's score, you know, it, how we're looking at them as a value to the team and to on and on has gone down. And, and it's gone down by 87% or it's gone up by, you know, 42% for these reasons. What do you think of this, uh, you know, based on your ongoing relationship with this person, et cetera. That's interesting. So I, I like how you guys are taking it from both the, I mean, the leagues, the athletes and the brand. So like the, the property side, as well as the brand side. And I think that that by creating kind of that ecosystem to allow both un, to understand, you can then almost come in as the middleman where you say, Hey, we are talking to league X, Y, and Z. And we know that they're, you know, we help them figure out this process and we think you're the perfect brand. And you can kind of create those marriages both mm -hmm. again with the data from both sides to just show why both of them should be doing it because there's so many times, right? Like with um, just like stadium sponsors and I'm a big Mets fan and city mm -hmm. field is where the Mets play. Whenever I say city field, I never ever register Citigroup or the bank. I always think of the Mets and like, maybe it's me. I don't know, but, but like Wrigley field, it took me till probably I was like 20 years old to be like, Oh, Wrigley gum. Duh. Like it just never made that connection in my head. I've always just kind of separated the two Staples center. That's another one. How many people think of the actual business staples when it comes to the Lakers and the Clippers or Taylor Swift at that matter? Not many people <laughs> I'm assuming. So I've always just been kind of curious on that side. Like, why do these brands pay like ungodly amounts of money? But obviously there's other things that go into it. Well, it's not like they just slap their name on the stadium and that's it. There's so many other things. So it sounds like you have a point to make there. Well, yeah. I mean, and there, there, you brought up a couple really great issues. One of them is just a pure branding and marketing issue. Uh, and it, it's a classic one. Again, having, you know, gone to B, B school, uh, you would, you would understand this piece really well. You know, when you have a name that is generic, right, and or has become generic, like a staple, you know, staples, or or what have you, you know, you're thinking about 
well, what is this? You're not thinking about the store necessarily. And also the word city is so generic. When mm-hmm. City Bank took off the name bank, you know, and they're, they're City Corp and they have City this and City that, you know, they wanted to say, well, look, we are all of these wonderful things. But then again, city, 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 you know, there's New York City, there's, there's this city, you know, so you have to think about it two or three times to realize it is, in fact, a company and they're attempted to do something with their name attached to a stadium. But you're also in New York City, you know, at, you know, at this location called City Field. And so it's very confusing, I think, to a lot of people. I have not seen the latest data, so I'm going to make a guess. I bet if you surveyed a lot of people going in and out of the stadium and say, you know, what is what does City Field mean? A lot of people would say, I don't know, you know, and that's unfortunate, right? I mean, so that's a whole issue unto itself, right? And also Wrigley Field, by the way, I don't think was named after the gum. I think it was named after the family that owned the gum company, right? Mm-hmm. So that's something, it's just a little tiny bit of trivia, I believe. I believe that's yeah. the case. I'm pretty sure you're correct. But, but still, you know, it's like, the gum, like, I never associated the two and they have the exact same name. That's the thing that's just crazy to me. <laughs> that is kind of funny, right? But you know, it's so, that's just, that's just one thing. The second thing is that it is, you said this also, like what do you get with it, right? If you're spending $20 million and all you get is the name of the stadium, I think all of us without even looking at more data would say, wait a minute, you know, is there, is there something going on here? Is the name on every program? Is it seen on TV every time somebody is, you know, in concert in that space versus playing whatever sport in that space? You know, these are the things that are that are critical. And again, it's the kind of data that people somewhat pull together in very specialized, uh, you know, ways from other companies that exist. But we're trying to do it in a very comprehensive way. You know, really understanding like, okay, Staples is doing X with the Staples Center. I don't know how much they spent offhand. I'm sure we have that data, you know, uh, for real, but whatever they spent, we would look at that in detail and say, okay, they get these 75 things along with that. It's on every cup, the, you know, when people are drinking things, it's on every napkin, it's on every program. You know, if it's that sort of stuff there, the value keeps going up incrementally. And how, how do you guys at Sports Biz, you guys and girls, figure like find that information? Is all of that publicly available when it comes to publicly traded companies? Is it something you guys have to dig for? Is it, you know, kind of through the network and just kind of the grapevine? How do, how do you put, bring it's, all this data together? It's, it's all of the above. Uh, it really is. There is a lot of data that is publicly available, and we have uh, people who are looking for that data. Uh, and we say, well, how do we find this out? There's a, almost every week of the of every you know month, there's a question. It's like, well, wait a minute, how do you get that, right? And so we have people who are constantly looking for it. And some of it's just public, you know, and that wouldn't surprise anybody, but it's the time to get it. The second category is, you know, really the aggregated data and what type of partners, you know, what type of relationships we need to have in order to get that. Uh, you know, some data is really only through a specific, you know, like it's the Major League Baseball. Maybe they only have, that data and you have to figure out well how do you get that from them what's the type of partnership arrangement that you need to to draft so that's a second category a third uh is is really us you know doing the whole value add and putting things together and pooling and trying to come up with things and and get new types of partnerships so again it's it's hard to tease this all out without giving all the details away but one thing i think everyone listening can understand is how image uh, search works, like image recognition in search. 
So, you know, there are all these companies that like search through an Instagram feed. And if you're looking for a certain pattern of shirt, you can now find that pattern of shirt in somebody's feed. Well, that same principle holds for anything, right? So there are companies that do image recognition in every sports feed, whether it's streaming or on TV or what have you. And they're looking, let's say, for the logo for Citibank or for Staples or for you know, Lexus or for Procter & Gamble. And then we figure out where it's positioned, the time on screen, all these kinds of things. So there's a lot of that also you know, added into the mix. So the data, all that and more, basically, is the way to look at it. It's a lot of data, metadata, collected data, whatever you can do. <laughs> Whatever kind of data, Timothy Peterson's got it. And then I guess it. with the with the league side, uh, uh, some more. Um, as you were saying, like as like there's you know you talk to the NFL, the MLB, NBA, NHL. We'll name all of them so we don't have to kind of give which sure. one away. But you're working with one of them, and as you said, you know they're having all this information, all these partners come in, and, and all the money's going out 250 different ways. How, how much do you guys help on the, like, I guess, quote unquote, consulting side to say, hey, you know, rather than doing this, this and this, if you funneled more money to this area and, and then kind of the output over here, how do you, how do you help from that way, especially considering all four of these sports are different, all the demographics are different? Is it just the data that you've collected from them? Or is it more of, hey, this is an aggregate of all the sports leagues all over the world. And this is how we've seen people engage best through sponsorship. Uh, and I, I think, I think again, this is one of those multi-part answers. And, and one way to view it is that you, you, you did touch on something that we've talked about a lot. Each league uh, or has a different uh, demographic, uh, a core demographic, I should say. Because of course there are exceptions to everything. You're always going to find you know a small number of people who kind of break all the rules, and and that's great, right? But, it's, but there's a core demographic, and that is known by the league, but it's also known by anybody who studies them, right? So you can get the data from both sides, and we do that, and we try to bring it together and say, well, wait a minute, their vision of themselves and the data that they collect versus the outside vision or the outside data collected does it really match? Or one of the things that comes up that, that leads us you know, to this consulting question is, well, do they want to expand beyond that core? Or is it something that they just want to keep that core extraordinarily happy and continue to you know, do anything related to that? So I think a great example, and again, this is not going to shock anybody, hockey has a very specific demographic. It doesn't really overlap in a gigantic way with a lot of other sports. So I like hockey. A lot of people like hockey, but it's not the same as the people who necessarily are watching basketball or watching NASCAR. It's a, you know, all of these things are groups that have a certain flavor to them, a certain mix to them. And that's kind of what makes them special and brings people you know, to watching those sports and be part of a community. But also you have to say that in NHL, well, do you want X, Y, and Z? Do you want these other groups who are kind of on the edges, kind of on the fringes of your fan base to become your new fan base or expand into those? So where the consulting comes in is that our model is not just SaaS. So, you know, some companies have such valuable data. They're just getting SaaS licenses and out it goes and people play with the dashboard and that's it, right? We, we realized from the start that that's not really enough. Like for us, because it's all it's new uh, to a lot of people to have all this in one place, 
And also they may not be asking all of the questions maybe that they should. So it's a very consultative approach. Uh, there are really client success people that are gonna be assigned to just about anybody. Uh, and then special projects for uh, certain things like if the Olympics were happening this summer, uh, you know, that was something we were discussing, but now it's in summer 2021, you know, there will be special products that we will have connected to the Olympics because it is a thing unto itself, right? It's not just an event. It's something that is hundreds of events over a very tight time frame, you know, with lots of overlapping demographics and interests. So, so that I think gives hopefully not too long winded an answer to what you were asking. No, that was perfect. And I think it is, it's very important because you do hear a lot about, um, you know, these SaaS companies, as you said, it's like, here, here's all the data. Here's a dashboard. We'll hang out with you for a week and then have fun. <laughs> it's like, well, this is like, you know, it, some people will take the time and do it, but other people, you know, have full-time jobs and they, they have to do their job on top of it. And that's where the nece necessary consulting does come in. And that's why I wanted to understand that question more is because it's very important for you know, certain companies, especially these leagues in particular, you know, they're, they're receiving billions of dollars. Look at the NFL, billions of dollars. I mean, CBS, NBC, and ESPN all pay them a billion dollars to let them, you know, air their games. So do then, do you go to other properties such as the ESPNs of the world to yep. say, hey, like maybe paying Peyton Manning $20 million isn't going to move the needle at all. Maybe you should do this, that, or the other thing. So how, how in deep do you get with like the media side of it as well? Uh, well, uh, what's interesting to me is that I started with SportsBiz last September, I guess. So, so I came in in September and they had been putting things together for maybe a year prior to that. Uh, but the original notion uh, behind uh, SportsBiz and the original kernel of the business was a media group uh, where they were, uh, I think there are former agents, sports agents, and a whole variety of people involved. And they were going to be creating a lot of content with the athletes directly, uh, you know, with kind of a nice data twist to it because they were very interested in that. But we have a lot of connections. So I guess to, you know, to, to really answer that is that, you know, we know people at you know, all of the, the networks and ESPN, of course, uh, everything that happens online, those folks really are looking at things with a different eye. You know, they're, they're not, it's not Coca-Cola, right? It's not Coca-Cola. It's not an athlete. It's not a team. It's again, a yet another category. And working with them, they can, you know, buy a license and understand how other people are looking at sponsorship data. But in a sense, they really need the custom approach more than anybody else. It's like, well, what specifically are you trying? What problem are you trying to solve? Or what are you trying to capitalize on? You know, you've got this new multi-billion dollar X, fill in the blank. Uh, really, how do you want to analyze that? We can work with your internal team and we could add in all the data that we have and try to answer some questions for you. So I think this goes back to my long history as a data guy and just other categories and other businesses. There's almost no way to, to run away from something like that. Like if you're in CPG or mm -hmm. if you're in fashion and beauty retail, you know, all of these things have a unique world around them, but you still have all of these component pieces like a media piece and, you know, all of the other players where you have to figure out, well, wait a minute, what's, the problem, how do we solve it? Where, where do we need to get more data? And I think we can come in and say to any of these players right now, it's like, well, ESPN, here's what we can do. Now let's figure out how to solve that together. And I think that's very important because again, these, uh, you know, ESPN for a while pretty much ran sports. Now mm -hmm. that, you know, it's not 
as necessary. I mean, we get all our highlights from Twitter and Instagram now. And, and, you know, rather I can just YouTube, like I don't stay up late for games anymore. I can then YouTube the 15 minute, you know, condensed version, see every single shot and okay, cool. I watch the game. I'm good. So it's really interesting kind of how that worked. Um, so now with ESPN needing to do many of these other different things to just engage the audience more, I'm always interested because as we're, you know, we hear about it every single month, cord cutters, man, cord cutters, they're, they're coming. And it's like, well, I mean, I still need to watch ESPN every Saturday for college football. That's just how it's going to work. So I can never really cut the cord fully, but it's always interesting to me to see how they're trying to spend that money that is coming in and spend the money that's going out because there's significant, significant dollar amounts that come with it. And I guess then from the athlete specific side, we've talked about the Mm -hmm. leagues a little bit. We've talked about some of these team, I guess we haven't really touched on the teams. We can get there. Um, We've talked about media, but like with the athletes specifically, as you said, a lot of it's going to be based on social media. You know, is it a lifestyle brand? Is it, do you want to work with Nike because they're, you know, your team sponsor or anything like that? How do you go about, you know, as you said, kind of searching the social media history, but not just what they're posting. Cause as we've seen, you know, just in these last couple of weeks, some athletes doing some silly things that's coming up <laughs> through social media, but they're not talking about it. It's everyone else talking about it. So yep. how do you kind of weigh those, those numbers? And I guess that data, like, how do you make sure like, okay, well, are people talking about you? Yes. Is it good or bad? Maybe, you know, how do you deal with that? Well, you know, I, I think we're, lucky in a sense that by maybe a year or two years, uh, there are all these companies that have been working with celebrities of various sorts, you know, trying to analyze what their reputation is or how reputation is affected, you know, through what happens in social or in other places, right? So it really is trying to pull that all together. So really there, there already is tech. There already are uh, approaches that companies have used to say, well, here are these people in film or even Broadway or, you know, what have you. These are music, any of these categories. For some reason, it didn't quite get as pervasive across athletes in sports, I think. There were always pockets, always individuals, but now it's becoming much more like that where you can use the tech and the tools and just get out there and say, okay, you know, here's a baseline for and athletes that's liked but not loved, and maybe they have a follower of a million but not 10 million, and maybe, you know, there's like a middle, right? And then there's everyone below it, and there's everyone above it. Why are these people below it? Here are 24 reasons. Why are these people above it? Here are 24 other reasons. And then you kind of look at everything in the spectrum and try to place people. So it's a moving target, you know, as everything is in social, like accounting for TikTok and accounting for Quibi, which is launched yesterday, you know, I'm sure we're going to have to do that. Or if an athlete's on cameo, you know, doing $50 thank yous or happy anniversary messages, is that a good or a bad thing, right? For their value for sponsorship. And I think a lot of these things, we're just going to have to keep rolling with it, but maybe the takeaway just for, again, for the listeners that for an athlete, you know, you, you want to be useful to the athlete. It's not just to their agent or their team or what have you, you want to be useful in a really individual way. So this may surprise some people, but you know, there are, I think tens of thousands, I think this is a real number. There are something like 45,000 professional athletes, period, like across everything. Uh, So it could be any sport, uh, you know, the full rosters, all that stuff, lots and lots of people. But, you know, it's not 45,000 people who have sponsorship deals, right? It's a much, much, much smaller subset. And a very tiny subset of those people have 
remarkable deals, you know, into the millions and tens of millions and beyond. So what are you doing for all those people in, you know, bottom 50%, bottom 25% of the rosters who are great and are on these teams who don't necessarily have deals. So we can go and say, well, here are opportunities. Here are people who are doing great things. Here are people who are, have a really positive ranking out on social who have a following of 800,000 people or whatever, yet they have like one deal for $20,000. Why? Here, go after these people. These are great people who should be supported. So it's, it's a wonderful feeling because you feel like it's going both ways. It's not just going to the, the big players who are spending big players, meaning like, you know, enterprise level companies spending all this money, but going to the athlete and saying, here, this is something that we can do for you. That's fantastic. And that's always something I love to hear. As you know, I work with Olympic athletes. I work with that bottom 25, that bottom 50%. So it's always Mm -hmm. nice to hear people and companies trying to help them um, because they do so much and they really get so little. As you said, they're still incredible, right? They're still some of the best athletes on planet Earth. Obviously, there's only 45,000 professional. So clearly, they're incredible. It's just, as you've said, you know, LeBron James garners so much more attention. Cristiano Ronaldo garners so much more attention. And those dollar amounts are significantly more too. I don't know if it was rumor or hearsay, but I think Cristiano Ronaldo actually makes more money by posting on Instagram than he actually does playing soccer. And his contract's like, a ridiculous, ridiculous number. So good for him. I'm all for it. But I feel like there's a lot of different ways brands can spend that money. So essentially what you guys would be able to do is come in and say, hey, you know, not trying to take anything away from Cristiano Ronaldo, but if you took that $20 million and split it up between these 20,000 athletes, Mm -hmm. the more opportunities and the more everything could come from it while, you know, you could actually have a bigger presence because so many more people would be talking about you, not just one Cristiano Ronaldo, correct? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think the parallel here is, is you know, the, the term that people have been using in the last few years is kind of going from, you know, macro influencer, you know, to, to micro and, you know, this whole range now where there are influencers who really have these, these very active communities and maybe they only have 10,000 people in their community, but they're really like, you know, rabid fans, right? They're people who are so passionate. So the power of those fan groups has to be recognized for all athletes across all rosters. And, you know, they are great people, as you said, every single one of them, they made it, you know, when you make it in, in to pick your favorite NFL team, I think there's are 99 people on every roster. Well, if I'm, if I'm not getting in the right sponsorship, somebody's got to help them. <laughs> you know, yep. somebody should help them. I love it. I love it. And then with, um, so with, the let's say like the the open sponsorships and the open doors is i know you and i you know i asked this question when we spoke on the phone but i obviously want everyone else to understand um, you guys are doing it in, you know no they're they're doing great things you know they're they're helping athletes they're getting them brand deals but you guys are doing it just a little bit differently with i mean it sounds like there's not quite white glove but there's a little bit more service involved but then there's also a significant amount more data involved which i think is really really important in helping these brands understand and the athletes understand, again, where that middle ground is. So if you don't mind kind of giving us the differentiation between what you guys are doing and what some of these other great companies are doing for the athletes and the brands as well. Uh, sure, sure. I, th- I think that uh, the best way to look at this is thinking about how things were even five or 10 years ago before a lot of folks you know, came out there to you know, put a more data-driven approach uh, to all of this. And let's say it was you know, in 2010 even. 
in 2010, it still might have been what people unfortunately called like you know, chairman's choice or CEO's choice, where a, a top person in a company would say, I like golf and therefore we're going to have golf sponsorships only and it'll be for the masters and it'll be this, that, and the other. And this is my favorite, you know, tennis player. And so this is the person we're going to go to for it. So it was a very individual approach driven by passion, but not necessarily by much else. Right. So I think over the last few years, more and more data has come into play. Uh, there's a lot more to look at. Uh, connected to any of these folks and to see like how you want to approach a deal. And now we've gotten to the place where it's an astounding pile of data. And it's really like, how do we make sense of it all to apply it? So when I said that number, I think 165 sources of data, you know, that's a real number. It's a scary number, but it's a real number. And it basically we could say, well, is it really, it's, it's like going back to what we we're saying, like, do you want to have more people in your base who uh, are really already there and just keep growing that? Or do you want to have more people of these sorts who are on the outer circles of who comes to watch whatever is happening on the field, right? And if the answer is I want people more in those outer circles and continue to bring them into the family, then it's actually very exciting and a lot of fun. It's like, well, wait a minute. This athlete is wildly popular among young African-American women, or this athlete, you know, has a following of people who do X, Y, and Z. You can get that specific. And it's something that the athlete, of course, knows, or, or maybe they don't, but it's something that they could be really excited about and very proud of. And something that the brand could say, wow, you know, we're finally expanding into this wonderful world of new fans through this person and through their fans, right? It's, it's a great back and forth. It's not just the love of the team, or the love of the game. It's the passion of surrounding an athlete and whoever follows them and then bringing them into you know, the game. Right? Mm -hmm. I think that that's a lot of fun and just bringing it back and forth in that way. And I think that's very important too, because as you said, you know, like I'm a I'm a very big MLB fan. So I think you're using the example of the NHL earlier, and and it's it's very well known that the Major League Baseball's core demographic is you know 40 plus year old you know Caucasian males and that's, you know, that's a great demographic now, but when they're all old and none of the kids that are going to be 40 eventually are caring about it, that's when it becomes a very big problem. And I want to see baseball last forever and ever and ever. So having them understand like, where can, how can we get in front of these kids? What can we do? I think is very important. And we're starting to see like little things when it comes to on field stuff, but I'm always curious kind of how they can start to engage that demographic more. And hopefully you and SportsBiz will be able to help them out. Well, one thing I would I would add that uh, I think is just so fun is, you know, there's tons and tons of survey data and a lot of teams and leagues don't have to even do it themselves where people are just offering their opinions because people are very opinionated in sports, right? So you're saying, well, you know, this is what should happen with the rules and this is, you know, uh, what should happen with replay and this is what, should, you know, so people are always in these forums discussing these things, but they don't necessarily get up to the level of, like commissioners of a sport or, or you know, team owners, or, or those people don't know how much data is behind it or how many people are behind it in the, you know, pulling that data point together. So that again is, is a role that we can play. Sports biz can say, okay, here's something that we think can 
make more young people more engaged with Major League Baseball. And for these reasons, because here is the data that we've collected from X thousand surveys from all of these different demographics and what have you, and present it back. And you know, you wonder why we would get in that kind of a role in a sense, but it really it's, it is a value-driven you know, thing. It's, it's something about increasing the value of everyone in the sport and everyone connected to the sport which makes sponsors more interested and in, you know it's it's an ecosystem right mm-hmm. so for us it's like there's no there's no reason not to pull that kind of data together and to present it in an appropriate way to all of those different people and say look you know here's something you can do instead of having like a 4 hour game and having all of these you know quiet points or dead points or whatever people want to call it right you could do this and this is something that you might want to test out because this is what people talk about Right. So that's really interesting. And yeah, hopefully, uh, hopefully they listen to you. I would, uh, I would appreciate that. I love baseball, but if it has to change a little bit for it to last forever, I'm totally fine with that too. And then what about like something, you know, so just an example of that. I mean, we've seen recently, or at least I've seen, I'm sure you guys paid attention to like Barstool, uh, Barstool sports has, um, they sponsored a, a car in NASCAR, which everyone was like, what the heck is going on? And now you see all their top personalities constantly talking about NASCAR. So now you see their entire user base constantly talking about NASCAR, maybe not constant and maybe not the entire, those might be a little hyperbolistic, but you're seeing a lot, a significantly different demographic starting to engage with NASCAR. Um, and some of that is based on Barstool. Some of that is based on Barstool and them leading these people into gambling. Uh, and, you know, so I think that's a very important thing too. So that's kind of where the question comes from is where do you see gambling? As you said, you guys are kind of you're trying to push that part of it. Where do you see gambling into some of these sports and how do you see the engagement really start to uptick and then also the sponsorships that can come with it? You know, I, I, I see, and this is maybe me personally as opposed to sports business piece of it because I've been looking at this a lot myself trying to figure out, you know, what I think of it. But I think that, you know, esports, of course, is, is bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You know, it not... Before we had, you know, our our crisis with with COVID nineteen, you know, you would fill up these large venues in a place like Las Vegas. I was in a conference in Las Vegas, and I happened to bump into a an esport competition that was going on. They had thousands of people in a room, you know, playing a virtual game. Right. So it, it's fascinating how these things are kind of feeding off each other. So you have the growth of esports. You have all of these other online gaming activities and, and the legalization of online betting, you know, in Las Vegas, New Jersey, and now, you know, all, all over the place to Native American casinos and what have you. It, it just basically kind of brings it all together into a moment where you say, well, we have the sport, we have the fan, we have the legality of betting, we have, you know, uh, esports is popular. What does this mean? What, do we, what can we do with it? So I think there's going to be more and more and more combos of this. And I'd mentioned at the head, I think, like eNASCAR, you know, and, and how that is kind of something people are really into for the moment, uh, you know, but I think it's going to continue because now that they're into it, it's not necessarily something you're going to stop. You know, if you're into it, you're into it, right? So, so to me, it's like, well, you have these sponsorships now in an online car racing game with the name NASCAR on it. And that's a really cool thing. So how is that going to be different? Is it going to have higher value, lower value, more people playing and watching, less, fewer people playing, 
uh, fewer people watching than in real life. I'm not sure yet, right? But it's one of these things that will just continue to evolve. And I think you got to go with it, right? If I, if I stood here and say, said, oh no, we, have, we must stop and just put a boundary around these sports and only things that exist in a live you know, arena, that would just kill the business. It's not, it's not the way things are evolving in society and we're going to evolve with it. Yeah. And I mean, you have to, and again, just going back to traditional sports, we're seeing a lot of the things that they're doing now that the NBA isn't on, you know, the their NHL is losing a lot of money. The MLB is losing a lot of money. You're starting to see, as I spoke about the, you know, the NBA athletes are playing each other in a virtual NBA game and they're airing it on ESPN. That's how, that's how much a, we miss sports and competition, <laughs> but B that, I mean, that's, that's the, you know, that's, that was, that's what's ha- that, that has to happen in some capacity because these games are exciting. You know, people will, as you said, like if you like e NASCAR and I think NASCAR is the most interesting one because it can be the most realistic, right? Like you can have the drivers Mm -hmm. sit in a, maybe not let's call it a car or a chassis or anything, but you can have them sit in a area that feels and looks like a driver's seat and they can shift and they can use the clutch and they can do all these things to make it most real. So I think that one is the most interesting because it's the most, um synonymous i guess is maybe a word we want to use the closest to it which is really interesting and uh, some of the other ones they're just fun we want to see the athletes granted some of them are terrible on camera and they're only good actually on a court so that is what it is but (laughs) i guess you know to kind of end this a little bit you know obviously you know like two more questions i'd say maybe three what when is when is all this data too much data and how do you know, you know, how, like when you get some data that might be a little contradictory, at what point do you say, like, where is the, the human element come in and say, okay, this is what we need to do? Uh, I'm going to go back to a job that I had uh, starting almost 20 years ago to answer this question, because I think I, I, I got, I learned it then. So uh, in the first dot-com boom, I got into a company called Prefer. It ended up going through a couple acquisitions. I was there for seven years. It ended up being owned by Merkel. If people know Dentsu Merkel, a giant ad a international like agency network. So what did we do? We pulled together data from the early dot-com businesses, early e-commerce businesses, and from older catalog businesses and traditional retail businesses so that we could create con- consumer profiles, right? So it was basically by the end of our run, we had created profiles on every household in America, which is at this point, I think it's 130 million households, you know, so however many people live in each household, but profiles of each household and buying behaviors and categories of of, uh, merchandise that they purchase. And you keep layering on, layering on data. So you get a partnership, for example, with American Express, and you could say, purchasing data through American Express in these apparel categories over a seven year period is estimated to be X. And it becomes a tremendous amount of data. I mean, the amount of data was astounding to me and I was head of this database, right? So it was just an astounding amount of data. It freaked everybody out with so much. It's like, what do we do with it? How do we store it? How do you protect it? And all these things. So to answer your question specifically, what that really meant to us is that it, what there is no such thing as too much data. It's that you have to know what to do with it. You have to know how to categorize it appropriately. So some of it is useful at some times, and some of it just needs to kind of be put aside and maybe brought in for special projects. Other things are useful at all times, right? So I'm not sure yet for sports biz what how big the pool 
can get before it becomes something where we have to pull things out and say this is too much. At this point, it's been the fun of pulling it all together and saying, wait a minute, here's something else that is useful or we think is going to be useful. So for us, not too much yet, uh, but at some point there could be. Do we want to know every single time somebody buys a soda in every stadium in the country? Yeah, maybe not, right? Maybe, maybe not. not. <laughs> unless it's atlanta that's the interesting part with atlanta i think with them uh, you know changing the prices to be understandable i think what like a soda is like two bucks and a hot dog's two bucks and i think that is actually really interesting data because you can then say hey every other stadium, hey new jersey and your you know however many stadiums stop selling a beer for twelve dollars when reality you should be selling it for five everyone's going to be happier they're going to drink more and you'll end up making more money but that might be another conversation. And then I guess yeah. <laughs> with, with what's going on during this, you know, COVID-19 coronavirus, um, I don't know, debacle, whatever the heck we want to call it, unfortunate time, especially yeah. in sports, how, how is sports biz taking advantage of this time, whether that be using the data or finding more data about what's going on now that we can use in the future or, or, you know, updating the systems? What are you guys doing to make sure that this isn't just a downtime? It's something that you guys can build upon. Uh, it's uh, finding more data is is absolutely one of the things that we're doing. We're saying, well, wait a minute, what other sources can we, uh, you know, look look for? Uh, who can we talk to? That's number one. Number two uh, is really saying, well, wait a minute. You know, we spent all of this time building this platform, spending all of this money on the tech, these algorithms. Uh, what other applications are there? Right. So that's something that we're discussing. You know, and more than we would have a couple months ago. We're saying that there, and there are, there are other applications. It won't surprise anybody to say that when you're looking at athletes and venues, you can also look at entertainers and venues and say, well, you know, what does that mean? How do we look at that eventually is something that we might be interested in. So that's two things. The third thing uh, is really what I had said, I think, also earlier on about the, you know, esports, right? It, it's really just saying, what are people doing when they're not watching a live sport or participate or in a stadium somewhere, uh, you know, attending a game, right? What are they doing? People are passionate about sports. So getting involved in that world and making sure our bases are covered for all of that data and understanding how people relate to it, how sponsors relate to it, et cetera. So also just trying to figure out how we can help people. I know that sounds, I don't want to sound corny. I never would want to sound that way to anybody, but all of us have asked that. And we're, you know, so we're telling people about different things that we know of that are volunteer opportunities or different uh, uh, free uh, platforms to offer marketing advice, for example, or sales advice to businesses in need. Uh, so I've participated in some of those networks recently. Uh, and I think that that's also something that every business should be doing. We can't just sit here with the luxury of saying, let's continue looking for licenses for our platform or collect data. It's a crisis, you know, so we've all got to help each other and figure out what else we can do. I love that. That's fantastic. And I think that's, uh, I think we covered just about everything. So I really appreciate your time. Timothy Peterson, Chief Marketing Officer and Chief Digital Officer at SportsBiz. Thanks so much for your time. It has been a pleasure. Thank you so much uh, and take care. Thank you all so much for this listening to this episode with Timothy. As I said, he was so much fun and super, super knowledgeable about what he's doing. I think it is awesome. And I'm very, very grateful for the conversation I got to have with him. So I hope you all, again, enjoyed it, learned something from it, can take something away, maybe listen to it once or twice and do something on that end. And please make sure to follow Timothy on all of his socials. Everything is in the show notes. And please also make sure to give us a five-star review on whatever app podcast application 
iTunes, Apple, Spotify, wherever the heck you're listening, anything would sincerely help in spreading the message of these stories just a little bit further. So I really appreciate you giving me some of your time. It's the only thing we don't get more of, and I appreciate you giving me some of yours, and I hope you make it a wonderful day. Yes.